0: Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 252. And I am here in Mount Pocono, Pennsylvania, where it is very cold and rainy. And I, of course, forgot to bring a jacket. I've been all over the world and you'd think I could prepare for a simple trip, but I can't. Before I get into... The guest for today, I want to give a shout-out to the Severe Titans. That is my kickball team in North Brooklyn. We play at McCarran Park, and we just won the championship. And I discovered that my 35-year-old body doesn't hold up well after three consecutive kickball games in one day. But we swept the playoffs. We won. We're the champions. Felt like I was 10 years old playing uh, PAL baseball. It was a lot of fun. So Severe Titans... Thank you for being my teammates. Shout out to all of you. All right. So here in the Poconos, if you've never been here, there's a whole lot of wildlife. In fact, when you're driving in on the highway, when you're in on 80, there are dead deer just like littered everywhere. It's a wild sight. And when you're driving at dusk, there's a lot of deer running across the road. It gets gets a little scary. I actually hate driving at night around here for that reason. Um, I have a stat here somewhere. Yeah, all right. This one's from State Farm Insurance, who obviously do a whole lot of car claims. But they say one of every 67 drivers in Pennsylvania has a claim related to a deer collision every year. There are 1.5 million deer in Pennsylvania, which is 30 per square mile. That's kind of crazy. But not only deer, there are black bears here. So it isn't uncommon to wake up in the morning and to look outside and to see that there's a trail of your garbage leading out into the woods because your garbage bin has been dragged a couple of miles to a bear's den. So it's pretty wild. And because there's all that wildlife, there are a lot of hunters. I've never hunted myself. I'm not opposed to hunting for food. I actually think that makes a whole lot more sense than the factory farming model that we use to get most of the food that we get in grocery stores. And so, my guest today is a hunter. His name is Jonathan Wright, and he has a deer camp that he established here in Pocono Summit, and it is called Pocono Browns. So, Pocono Summit's like twenty-five-ish minutes from from where I am in Tobyhanna in the Poconos. And the house that he has set up there for his deer camps, it's awesome. It makes me think of, I don't know, it's almost like a bachelor pad or like summer camp or something. There's like a sleeping quarters, but then there are communal space for food and for hanging out and for playing games and for telling stories. And that's what he does. He tries to get people into hunting who haven't hunted before. And especially he's interested in opening up hunting to people of color, Because the lifestyle and the sport has primarily been marketed towards white hunters historically. And so he's doing his part to diversify the field. He's a super fascinating guy. I'm always like blown away by the fact that I'll have a guest on. I know one thing about them. Like I knew Jonathan was a hunter. But then they opened me up to their whole world. So he's a chess player and he does cybersecurity and he's into Russian classic literature. Really fascinating guy. So this was interesting. I got to learn a whole lot from him and I think I might join a deer camp. I think that would be really cool to do another episode with everyone involved in the camp and maybe we could do some video along with that. But uh, yeah, this will be the, the primer for that maybe. So if you go to the notes for this episode, the description and whatever player you're listening to this in, you will find a link to his website or you can just go to Poconobrowns.com. But he's also got an Instagram account where he, he's got pictures from his, from his camps that are really cool. But he has his whole schedule on there. So you can um, book directly through the website if you want to have a unique hunting experience. There's also a link in in the notes for this episode to my Patreon account. That is a subscription service where you can give monthly and get some cool kickbacks, such as books that my guests have put out. So if you recall, uh, maybe like 10, 15 episodes back, I had Dr. Bill Schindler of the Eastern Shore Food Lab. He has a book coming out this week. So my Patreon supporters, you will be getting a copy of that book, courtesy of me and Bill. Okay. Enjoy this conversation with Jonathan Wright.
1: All
0: right, well, thank you, first of all. Uh, Very happy to be here. As you know, I I told you some things. I haven't really talked about it on here, but I've had a rough couple of months, man. Uh, Family stuff. So, I took like a month off just because I had to uh, from, you know, recording episodes. And I'm like so, 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 so happy to be back doing this. Um, I get to sit, excuse me, to sit down with people all around the world who are like are doing things that I am either a novice in or know very little (laughs) about. And this is one of those topics. So it makes it like all the more exciting that I get to talk to you. So thank you so much. Awesome. My pleasure. All right, cool, cool. So we're here in the Poconos in Pennsylvania, but you're originally from Virginia.
1: Originally Virginia, live in New Jersey, and uh, this is my happy place out here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I can see why. Sometimes, like, I'm so fortunate that I get to sit down with people in the places they live or the place of their work. And this is an audio program, so people can't see it. But uh, we'll get into it a little in a little bit. But we are at the like the the hunting camp, the pad here. And it's really beautiful. So, Thanks. Thanks. yeah, it's really cool to be here. Uh, whereabouts in Virginia are you from?
1: Uh, Richmond, Virginia. Born oh. and raised spent okay. 17 plus years there. Went to college in Michigan, met my wife out there, uh, lived out there for a bit, and really grew up a little like sporadically hunting with the cousins, like tinkering around, you know, plotting cans and stuff, a little hunting here and there, but really got serious in Michigan. I was mm-hmm. working with a guy. I'm actually seeing him this weekend, this, this his family's annual deer camp they take. Oh, nice. and I'm the only in, invitee who's not a family member. It's pretty cool. This will be year 11. I've gone out with them every year. And uh, got seriously into hunting in Michigan and fell in love with um, everything deer anatomy, deer habits, deer hunt, everything deer related. It just mm. blows me away. People talk about elk. I told you I just took a bear out here. Nothing compares to the North American whitetail. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just a fascinating, fascinating creature. But um, yeah, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and thought about going back, but Jersey's good for now.
0: Good for this, now. to me, feels like almost like a way of life. Um, before you were into hunting, when, I mean, Richmond's a city and a city with suburbs, like what what were your interests? What were you getting into as a, as a young yeah, man? Yeah,
1: I played, um, played a lot of chess, which oh, really? kind of ties into hunting. I play a lot even today. Uh, it's a tactical sport. And I call it a sport. Uh, the Russians label chess a sport. I think it's a sport. I was a Russian major. So I'm close to them wow. in terms of their culture. Uh, I'm rambling a bit, but that's one reason why I was so opposed to shooting a bear. In Slavic folklore, the bear is like the closest relative to man. Whoa, in I terms of knew fo- that. So I was like, I never want to kill a bear, never want to do it. But I decided to cross that line for uh, culling purposes, to eat the bear. And I found an ethical boundary for me to be able to comfortably comfortably do it. But um I guess back to your question. Yeah, you know, Richmond, good town. Uh, but Jersey's it's become home for me. My family, interracial marriage, uh, three boys, and Jersey's like a good cultural fit for us. Like I see, everyone's yeah. comfortable. There's no I mean there's racial stuff all over the country, but especially up north, you know, it's it's not so much on the surface, so it makes us have a comfortable place to raise those boys, give them our Michigan and Virginia values, but not have to deal with some of the stuff in the more Philistine locations of both of those states, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, there's actually like a whole lot I'll unpack from, from that, even talking about bears. Uh, I have some some notes here, but I think you told me when we were chatting on the phone that when you were in Virginia, your
1: grandfather was a hunter? Yep. Grandpa was a hunter, uh, Warren Gamaliel Harding Brown, and uh, I never hunted with him. It's like a presidential name, huh? (laughs) He was named after the president, yeah. Oh, okay. Warren Harding. And um, never hunted with him and found out like way after the fact from my mom and people that he was a big time hunter. In fact, um, he grew up, he raised my mom and family in rural Virginia, like Buckingham County, rural Virginia, and nine brothers and sisters- my mom showed me a picture recently of him. Uh, he was wearing a green like army jacket and pockets where my mom said he would stuff squirrels in and he was just dragging, like not like a deer drag from Walmart you put on your back. He's like dragging a doe home <laughs> like it's from 1959. Coolest picture. I'm like, I wish I'd hunted with this guy. I knew him very well, but, um, in honor of him, I named this place Pocono Browns, you know, after his last name Brown. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think he hunts out there with me when I'm out there and sometimes sends me a buck. That's that's how I look at it. He sounds like a real badass. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was neat, man. He was neat. A real calm, collected guy. But, uh, you know, my mom recently said, watching me hunt so much, she said, I wonder if he enjoyed going out hunting because he would go out and be out all day. I was like, Yeah, I'm sure he did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, my getting into it has really given me a glimpse into at least a part of him that I never knew, but something that we, um, that we share for sure. So it was hunting in Michigan that really sort of like... Sparked it. Yeah, Sparked got its hook
0: sunk in you there.
1: It. Yeah, yeah, these guys, uh, northern Michigan boys, love them greatly. Uh, real Christian groups. We taught God, family, country, that stuff. And, um, you know, fascinating, fascinating group. They have uh, like 120 to 200 acres or so and they don't cultivate it. Like they don't um, set bait, things like that. They really treat it like a sanctuary. And I love telling people that's why I hunt public. That's Mm. why even if I hypothetically could afford to buy private, I wouldn't. Because I just don't have the need to bait deer and hunt them absent the element of what's called fair chase. I want to hunt them on their terms, make it challenging, introduce the strategy, implement it, and uh, that's my passion. That's, that's why I get off at chess and hunting. I mean, I used to start with, I used to do a lot of rifle hunting, and I still do. But primarily today, it's bow. My wife once told me when I got that buck on the wall, she was like, uh, that's a nice buck, but it would have been pretty tough if you got that with a bow, right? I was like, okay, I'm sure enough. <laughs> oh, so, so I graduated into crossbow, got something, and she was like, man, but aren't guys using compound? Like like the pullback one, I'm like okay. She's really talking sure enough, smack, man. Sure <laughs> enough, so I got into compound, and turns out that's that's the toughest thing out there, except for what I'm really going to get into next season is recurve. So it's got no sights, low technology. Uh, it's old school. It's old school as it gets. It's just a string, bow, pull back, and you should know where the strength where the arrow's going. It's like a true. Native American style hunting, the recurve. You're, you're looking to hit it like right on the liver? Uh, you know, yeah, you got vitals. Liver shots, good, lethal. You want to hit what's called like the, um, the uh, what's the term for it? Bread basket. A lot of guys call it the bread basket. Okay. Like just the, the heart, lungs. You know, you want to get in there because if you hit the guts, they can run far. Oh, yeah. It's um, something you don't want to deal with. Most hunters after some point will deal with it, a gut shot and you got to approach it whole differently you can't just go chasing a deer cuz they will sometimes bed down bleed a little bit and hopefully bleed out but if you bump them you might be chasing a deer for miles and never recover it you know so you have to have that discipline even after you take the shot to just sit reflect wait
0: i'm really curious about sort of like first time jitters and i guess i'll give like a personal like philosophical idea first I have never hunted but I'm interested. Like I am not naive enough to think that I'm detached from the killing of an animal because mm. I eat animals all the time. <laughs> um and I also am someone who like looks at the factory farming model as something that is quite cruel. Um Just gruesome, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like so yeah, if I'm if I'm going to the store and I'm buying ground chicken that's a chicken that lived in just like hellish conditions its whole life, right? Um, but even with that aside, I'm I'm curious about like the first time killing a deer. If there's like, if there's jitters, if 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 you feel remorse at all, if you feel um, almost like a sigh of relief, like oh, I got this done.
1: You know, it's a um, it's like a sad joy. Mm. I, I remember like it was yesterday my first deer, and it was a buck. And it's like, uh, if I could, I would never murder someone, of course, but I imagined it like I crossed the line. I crossed the line of no return. I remember walking up to it and I actually had to dispatch it, uh, not to get into details. It was still, it was a good shot, but it wasn't perfect. And I was like, man. Uh, so I dispatched the deer and I remember just touching it. Doing something I would never do these days, like I, I like before I kicked it, and made sure it was done, I was like touching it and thanking it for its life. Uh, you know these days you know tap the back of the deer, make sure it doesn't jump up last last hurrah with the antlers in your gut but um I was happy and and sad at the same time, like I'd taken the life of this deer, but I was happy because I was going to feed my family. Uh, I went out there and accomplished my goal and to really answer your question there's a line that uh, you cross and you just you don't go back. Mm. You don't go back unless you just say this is not for me. But if it is for you, you know you, you're stuck for life. You're stuck for life. And uh, you know these days you talked about first time jitters. Uh, for me as a hunter, there's no such thing mm. because I get excited every time, like the same level of excitement. For that doe on the wall, that block on the wall, same level. Like, I'm, I'm thinking if a doe's coming, I'll have ice in my veins, calm and collected. No, dude. <laughs> every <laughs> single time, every single time, I'm like, oh my, God, oh my God, calm down, breathe, 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 aim, 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 pull, slow pull, slow pull. Then it's down, ideally. And every time I see a deer, it's, it's that same excitement. In fact, uh, reluctant to say this publicly, I saw the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life in person just yesterday. He was, he was a bruiser, dude. Like look like a hog. I like remember thinking, why is this deer so fat? Oh, <laughs> like yeah. he was just, he was a tank dude, tank. And it's the rutting season. So he was cruising. He had one thing on his mind, doe, love, uh, procreation. And I tried to honk at this thing, Matt, Matt, make it stop. Uh, he wasn't having it. He wasn't having it. So he was cruising and I took my best shot at it. He's about 40 yards out, and I came woefully short. I just saw my arrow go down, and I'm replaying that shot even right now in my head. I'm just like, "You, you make that shot all the time on target, easy without thinking. But in the heat of the moment, after so many deer I've seen, so many deer I've shot at, jitters were there and overtook it. And I was like, you knew that was a 40, maybe 44 yard shot. And you, I think, put it on my 30-yard pen, hoping it would kind of drop down and compensate for a deer that tends to buck down when they hear the string. He didn't care about the string. He was just cruising and moving. And those same jetters, they were there. Wow. They were there. And um, likely will be there every time a creature that I'm going to harvest shows up.
0: If you get a buck, and I know the one you're talking about sounds like a monster. Also, the one on the wall here, people can't see it again, but... Has a neck like a tree trunk, like monster. Yeah, he's massive. Yeah, but for like a a typical buck, I guess, like how long can you feed your family like off of that one buck?
1: Yeah, we eat venison, you know, here and there, which means like maybe one, two times a month. Okay. One deer. uh, If you're doing that one, two times a month, you could have deer from this season well into next season easily. I tend to take more deer than I'd like to say is necessary, but we, we eat a lot more venison than I think most people. I've got three boys, wife, myself, we all eat, throw them a dog, the liver and stuff. But um, it's funny because the Pennsylvania Game Commission years ago, like 100 plus years ago, there was an article where they talked about how many deer is enough. And back then, and it's been overturned, but they came to the conclusion that one deer is enough for a family, one deer. And that's obviously changed. But at some point it was one deer. Wow. Straight up. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Warp.
0: Yeah, no worries. Not good. Um you're not allowed to sell gamey, right, if you if you kill it. Yep. Yeah. Again, which is strange because like in, in the conditions that a lot of factory farmed animals are in, like, there is disease and it's quite disgusting conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, so I was thinking about this. Whenever I drive around here, like I hate driving at night. Uh, when we come into town, we come from New York. You pass the Delaware water gap, there's like a pretty cheap toll. Right after the toll, there's a, like, welcome to Pennsylvania sign. Yep, pursue after, your happiness. Exactly. Yep. After that sign from there up into Mount Pocono where we go, uh, it is. It, there are dead deer all over the highway. Especially now. Without fail, right, mm-hmm. all over the place, and I know people might say, "Well, they're they're in their natural habitat. We're, we're driving cars, and that's not natural." Okay, but we have evolved to the point where here we are, we drive cars to get around, and it is a hazard. Like, I don't know, would you would you rather have a deer that's hunted, or would you rather potentially have a family like have a terrible accident because they they hit a deer? Um, how how bad is like the the overpopulation of deer in this area I guess. Yeah, I
1: mean it's heavy. Pennsylvania is one of the most renowned uh, heavily deer hunted states in the country for good reason. Got a lot of hunters, a lot of deer. Mm. And you know, there's a reason that they have hunting season not in the spring or summer, but now fall, winter, late winter because the bucks are out moving, they're pushing deer, they're causing accidents. Uh and they're overpopulating. So if you don't call them during a specific period, you know, they will get overrun. And, you know, case in point in Jersey, they stopped the bear hunt for, for whatever reason, I don't want to get into it. And for the first time this year, since they stopped it last year, I've seen bears in the woods, like all over the place, all over the place. And it's only a matter of time before they're in people's backyards, trash, etc. And, um, you know, there's a reason the scientists that govern wildlife population management in states have certain hunting during certain periods. They know yeah. what they're doing. It's not because they love killing animals. Uh, we live with them. We need to safely live with them. And you're right, a deer through the windshield is is devastating. Yeah. <laughs> like, devastating. Don't want to imagine it, but I know what it would look like, and it's not pretty. Yeah,
0: yeah the... My, my girlfriend and her family, they have like all these stories of growing up here. Like one time when she was a kid, a deer ran. She was Her dad was driving. She was in the passenger seat. They hit a deer and its head went through the passenger side window, so not even the, the windshield. And he like slammed on the brakes and she's like dazed because this deer head literally hit her. And the head is just like the thing got dragged and it is just there in her lap. She's a little kid with this giant deer head in her lap. Like sounds like a horror movie. It is... It's wild. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's very dangerous, yeah.
0: Yeah, and like bears around here too, like you're talking about the trash. It's I would just driving out of their community coming here now, you see garbage cans that are strewn all over the place. Mm-hmm. And yeah, at night, you know, yeah, obviously bears going through trash maybe isn't a hazard, but you know, bears coming up to a little kid in the backyard who's playing is a hazard.
1: Or a woman out. On her front porch, and she's trying to protect her little dog, and a bear drags her off in the woods. True story last year. I think last year or two years ago. Around here? Pennsylvania. Oh. She was out there just not being mindful, (laughs) you know, not to laugh about it, but you got to be mindful. We're in their backyard. They're in our backyard. Uh, Just, you know, be mindful. Bears, I think, are typically, you know, harmless, but I put them in the category of dangerous creatures. You know, people are like, oh, they're not going to bother you. Yeah, nor is a rattlesnake until you step on it. Right. You know, so I put them in the, you know, beware of category. But yeah, they're out here big time, especially in the Poconos. It's just perfect climate, perfect region, Uh, the habitat, the diversity of wildlife, breeds, bear, deer, and turkey.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, there was a a kid at Rutgers a couple years ago in in Jersey who I
1: think got killed by a bear. That's right. I think the bear followed him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you that's, know, that's
1: crazy. Saw some kids yesterday riding their bikes and they were I was walking out of the woods and they'd seen some deer that spooked. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. They'd seen some deer that I actually spooked and they were like sneaking up on the deer and I told them uh you guys should probably head on out like it's getting dark. There's bears around here. You know, like be careful. Like but you know, little kids are not thinking then he's, one kid's like, oh, can you shoot your bow? I'm like, that's dangerous too. Yeah, No. <laughs> you know. So kids and people just not being comfortable with the realities of wildlife out there can find themselves in sticky situations. Do you also sure. hunt bears with a bow? I did. I got that bear back there, 403-pound bear with, with a bow. Pennsylvania Game Commission said it was the biggest taken in the Poconos this year and likely will remain so. I even had the lady, I, I recorded her, I was like, say that again. <laughs> it's a 403-pound bear, and to put in perspective, most guys get bears about 150, 200 pounds. Oh my God. 250 is a nice average bear. 300 is what's considered big, like really big bear. 400 plus is considered enormous. Verbatim. Like that's, that's how you score a bear. And uh, got it about 18 yards away. Back there, a couple hundred yards uh, with my bow.
0: Now I know black bears are like you were mentioning relatively harmless in the sense that like they're quite skittish. If there's no. a lot of noise going on, they kind of run away like like as if they were a much smaller animal. But I would imagine like that's
1: got to be a really well placed shot on a giant bear like that. Yeah, Otherwise, you got to like, do it. You got to do it right. Um, he's gonna be coming at you. <laughs> yeah, and that's that that does happen. Like if you bother a bear with a bad shot, they're going to run and potentially charge where they heard the sound and wherever whatever injured them. But if you take a lethal shot, that bear should run just straight, just straight. And thankfully, took the shot on the bear, he just ran straight, just ran straight. And it was exhilarating. Uh, I knew I'd gotten him pretty good. And it's funny because it was muzzleloader season and bow season, so I could have used either one. I walked out there with a muzzleloader, brought it back in here, and went out and, and grabbed my bow instead. Because it was the first, I t- the first time I was calling, telling people I'm actually bear hunting. So went out with a bow instead. Because I said, my muzzleloader's good. You know, old school musket, if you will. But I said, if I take a bad shot with a muzzleloader, and he knows where that sound came from, I don't want it. But I'm pretty good with my bow. Uh, it'll be silent and spot on. And sure enough, the bear that I'd seen a couple times in the past year came from the direction I thought he would. Wait, I, t- I tell people bear that way, deer over there. Came out from that swamp area, 18 yards. He might even, he had that swagger of an old bear, like that old bear swagger is like, I don't care. He might have even seen me, like didn't care. They're just arrogant and gnarly. <laughs> and so he was walking and uh, turned his head a certain way, turned it back looking at the woods, and then I let it fly, let it fly. Wow, and you eat bear meat now? I do. Yeah, <laughs> it was first time, first time eating it. Um, tastes really greasy. Tastes like beef mixed with bear fat. That's the only way I can describe it. If someone gave it to you now, you wouldn't be able to save your life to bet on which which meat is bear, beef, bear, well done steak. Like you could uh. probably figure it all out, but it'd be tough. I've eaten all sorts of
0: animals in my travels. Like I've eaten bat mm-hmm. uh, and I've never eaten bear. I was, while researching for this, I was finding that like, yep, yeah, people actually uh, historically have and can eat skunk.
1: Um, mm, you yeah. can, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> in fact, um, I heard if years ago, if you're wandering the woods, went to some bat cabin in the woods and someone was cooking meat, there was a high probability that bear was probably uh, the cuisine for the evening. Like it just... It's a, I think it's the second heavily hunted game in America. Whoa. After the whitetail. You but just have to be like super careful about the temperature, right? Or else you got to cook it. it well done, 160 degrees at least, maybe 165 because of trichinosis. Yeah. Like they, they have parasites. Uh, similar to what pork had years ago. It's kind of been manufactured out, but you got to cook it well done. That's why I said it tastes like a well done. Stick. So if you have some connoisseur in your circle, it's like, hey, I have this tartar medium rare ba- bear, oh. run. <laughs> like It's going to be a nasty next few days, but um, got to cook it well done.
0: Wow. Yep. Okay. Uh, tell me about uh, Pocono Browns and the idea behind it. Like, this is how I discovered you. I think it was the Philadelphia Inquirer mm-hmm. or some publication. Yeah, you know. Um, and I was like, oh, man. Sounds like a really interesting guy that I got to talk to, and that's what brought me here. Yeah. Uh, so talk to me about the idea of this deer camp.
1: Sure, and I have to thank Jason Nark uh, for drafting that article and putting us more on the map. Uh, so first, go back to Michigan. I was invited by my old boss. He was like, oh, you want to go? Uh, it's a bad impersonation of He's <laughs> like, you want to go, go hunting? And I was like, yep. <laughs> and it was uh, November, the first deer camp I was ever really invited to like um, getting together, the camaraderie, the sharing of stories, whether you're a new hunter, experienced, and everyone kind of going out there, strategizing, recapping midday or at the end of the day and getting back at it day after day after day, typically for four or five days, maybe a week if you get you know, that amount of time off. And I fell in love with the concept of deer camp. And um, I've done that every year with them, except since 2012, except for 2019, my son was born in October. So I remember asking my wife, you know, what about my deer camp trip? And she was like, what trip? That's that's as far as that went. But um, the best year I missed was that that year my third son was born. And I wanted that same experience also closer to home. So I was looking at cabins here in the Poconos, hunting them down for like a year or two. Landed on this one. And uh, my wife's brilliant idea was to find one that backs up to game lands as opposed to say, getting a cabin, then buying 25 private acres somewhere disjointed, have it connected, and uh, start your deer camp, start a deer camp. And I started to, launch launched my website. You can check that out, Poconobrowns.com. And really it's been, I'll borrow a word from someone from our deer camp last week, and it's been magical. Uh, we've had, and primarily of guys have been African American, black, which is great because you got a lot of black hunters in America But to get them all at a deer camp together and to give them that experience, from what I've found so far, not a lot of them have that. So I've had guys come from the great hunting state of Ohio, uh, Florida, Maryland, Delaware, uh, all to be here at our deer camp. Of all the places in the country, they came here and spent their time and efforts and gas money to hunt here. And one guy named John that was here last weekend, He used the word magical. He just sat and reflected at the end of the day. He said, man, to be around this many, not just black hunters, but archery black hunters is magical. And he was just, he melted my heart. I could have cried. But that was an awesome thing to hear. Like, I built that. And you hear the the, the phrase, you know, if you build it, they will come. We built this, and and they come. It's really cool. And a lot of these guys, uh, one guy, two guys were... Repeat offenders from last year, our first deer camp, they came back. Uh, and the rest want to keep coming back. And back to your question about new hunters, you mentioned yourself earlier. One guy was hardcore hunting, had all the gear. He had my gear on, which I knew was hardcore. He had my gear. And this guy worked his butt off, new, new to archery, and right behind the cabin bagged a beautiful buck. And there's his first deer, uh, First buck, of course. And just to see that, and there's pictures on the website of him and his deer, uh, that's what it was all about. And that was the highlight of the trip. I got the first deer the first night. I had to set the tone early, let the guys know who's who. But this guy got the best deer of the whole trip. And that was just the highlight. And not everyone got a deer, but uh, one guy took a shot at one, hit it kind of rough. We couldn't recover it, sadly. And that happens. It's a sad part of hunting. But before he left, I told him, hey, do you want my haunches for my deer. And he was like, absolutely. So we went in the shed, which I built up to butcher deer, gave him two huge hindquarters. And he was, he was just grateful. And that's what it's all about, that deer camp experience. And I've been able to give that to people who presumably have not had that access before. Like I talk about this family in Northern Michigan, all white, uh, not the color means anything, just painting a picture. And they're inclusive. Like it's not an open invite. Uh, so for me to be a part of that Like I'm in their comfort zone. Mm. I'm in their comfort zone. I'm in their space. Uh, If any of them are uncomfortable with blacks, I don't know, I don't think they are. Like they got to deal with it And, and they do. And they love, you know, what we all do together and there's no color there. It's just hunting, woods, stories.
0: Is it a hobby and a lifestyle that has excluded people of color or just have those voices not like been amplified enough?
1: I think more so the latter uh, because hunting, especially public hunting, you're not precluded from getting, say, a license. Uh, but I would say that maybe a lot of the, by default, a lot of the advertisements, a lot of the imagery that's mm-hmm. seen, uh, it's not welcoming or as welcoming as it could be to hunters of color, mm-hmm. even though we're all out there. I told you my grandpa I was hunting. I mean, people have been hunting no matter what color, for millennia. right? Uh, but I think in America particularly, it's not been seen as a typically you know, black sport or hobby, even though it in fact is. But we might have fantastic hunters, like my friend Antonio Brown from Florida came up, and he's like one of the... I, I would call him, and I, I'm not exaggerating, one of the top 10 archers in the state of Florida.
0: He doesn't play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. No, <laughs> no, he's, uh, <laughs> no
1: he's, he's fantastic, though. He's fantastic. This guy can hit a target 100 yards away. That's a football field's length. He can know, do it without, without cr- blinking. crazy. He's incredible. He's incredible. And for a guy like him, for example, to not be picked up by Matthews Bow Company or Bowtech as a sponsor, it's shocking to me. Mm. And I think it's, um, I'll take it a step further, it might be telling of the culture that still exists in at least the, the marketing ad campaigns with hunting. Because we're out there. Uh, and I think to your point, maybe it's not the voices aren't as amplified, you know. So if I can cut through some of that, if my friend Antonio Brown can cut through some of that, that's that's what it's all about. We're all, we're all out here doing the same thing, uh, and we are too. That's a big deal.
0: Yeah, you know, being from the city, um, and somebody who, like, going through college, came out with like pretty hardline politics, I guess, where, like, I I saw the world as one way and kind of the way that, like, we're all sort of, like, told people are set into certain groups by, like, I don't know, mass media and all that. Um, I think that, like, sometimes people from the city will look at people in, like, the outdoors industry or in rural settings, in, in wood settings, certainly in southern settings, with the caricature that they're a certain type of person. And mm-hmm. often that certain type of person is like ignorant and potentially racist. Deplorable.
1: And, Some would say deplorable. Right, exactly. <laughs> Not to get into that, but yeah. That's, it, it's, but it's, exactly. It's
0: and in in my travels, I found two things. I found that that characterization for the whole of the people in those areas and interested in those things is unfair and wrong. Mm-hmm. But I've also found that yes, those ignorant ideas do exist in subsections of the people in those areas. And I'm wondering maybe, too, if, if some people might be, be turned off to hunting because they might think, like, if, will I be hunting alongside people who have, like, an ignorant mindset because of that characterization?
1: Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a, I think it's a two-way street. I think a lot of people, say, out here would have the same thought of, I don't want to be near those people in the city because mm. they don't understand shit, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think it's a two-way street, but what you're touching on, I think, is real. Like you get a lot of, uh, I call them Pocono wildies. I call them, tell my boys, you know, be, anywhere you go, there's crazy people. But you get some different uh, shades of crazy out here, and you know, those stereotypes that come with, you know, hunters, outdoors. Some use the word rednecks, stuff like that. Uh, it comes from somewhere, but I don't know if it's an honest caricature because at the end of the day, it's just people doing different stuff. You know, some people like to go rooftop parties, day parties, soirees, dress up. And as simple as that, some other people like to put on camo and get in the woods. It's Mm. just a different lifestyle, completely different lifestyle. And even, you know, thinking about the history of our country, uh, the Civil War existed in large part, yes, because of slavery, but because people were so different. They just had different, different lives, different lives, and they were willing to shed blood over it. You know, so I'm uh, I'm always mindful of telling people, you know, be careful starting arguments with folks. Watch that movie Road Rage with Russell Crow last night with my wife Diana. You know, you never know where people are at, um, and don't assume that they're comfortable with you, but also don't assume that uh, they're that much different from you. They might just be doing different stuff.
0: Hmm. Simple as that. I'll speak for myself, but I quite like many modern luxuries. I like having air conditioning when it is quite hot in the summer Uh Um, and things of that nature. But I also feel the constraints of a lot of aspects of life, of living in, you know, being a person alive in 2021. When I'm working for too long in a building with fluorescent lights and I don't get to go outside and get fresh air, I feel caged in really quickly and I start, I start, it's, it's, a, it's like bottling up of this energy and it's, it's going to blow. And that's, that's kind of why I travel. Like I, I just love to get out into the world to put myself in situations where I'm different from the people around me and I can learn from them and eat like them and have experiences that I would never have mm-hmm. sitting in a cubicle. Um, in terms of like the the enjoyment that people get joining you in these deer camps and this hunt and also thinking like we, we were hunters for so... So much freaking longer than we were people who bought meat in a supermarket. Uh, Is there anything to sort of like a return to like, um, I don't know, I'll put this in quotes, like a pre-civilization type of a feel and mindset, like almost like a freedom that these guys have when they're out on you with a hunt, that like they're doing something almost ancient and primal and like hardwired into like our biology maybe.
1: Oh, it's in our biology for sure. We're all hunters. Uh, We're built We've eyes facing forward Uh, to hunt. We can run Mm. for miles. We can actually chase down deer. Like if you chase down a deer, if you you got the winds to do it, you can chase down that deer and it will expire because they can't breathe like we can. We can run and chase down animals. And I'm willing to bet if the world went to hell, you'd be hunting. My neighbor would be hunting. Everyone at some point would be doing exactly what's in within them. We'd be hunting. Uh, But we have the luxuries that allow us to not have to do that. So to answer your question, I think when the guys come out here, first time hunters, long time, they're in this space where they're their most authentic selves in some way. (laughs) You know, not Mm -hmm. out here like, oh, it's exciting to kill animals. No, they're like, like I watch them. Sometimes I just kind of cruise and watch people strategizing, looking at topography maps, uh, feeling it, like getting inside of what the hunt the next day is going to look like. And, I can imagine that outside of the say topography maps on the phone or something, it's no different from what our ancestors, grandfathers, great grandfathers were doing when they were out there. You know, thinking, "What's the wind doing? Uh, is tomorrow a good day to go out to that spot?" Because I don't want to have a bad hunt and leave my scent in there. Just the strategy of it, and uh, and these guys, I watch them, uh, ooh and ah over something that's inside of them, mm. and they, you know, just you watch their authentic expression of you know, I'm doing this, I'm using a bow. I'm doing this and it's not rifle season, but you know, they'd use a rifle. They're using a tool to do something that we have done since the beginning of mankind, hunt. And so I think it's it's in us all, just not all of us are hunters.
0: It's funny it, It's funny that you mentioned like if the world goes to hell because I always think of that, I am fortunate that when I get to talk to people like this, I talk to many people like you that have a very distinct skill set in something that would benefit them if the world went to hell. Like if there is a societal collapse, I am going to be like leaning heavily on people who can hunt or who can um, do a lot of these like survival tasks that I do not have because I live in a city. Mm. It's. It's. Uh, I don't expect the world to go to hell, but... If it does, I'm in
1: trouble. <laughs> yeah, come out with us sometime and, and learn how to gut a deer. And, uh, yeah, I would love that, honestly. And get, you know, we got some stuff for you, crossbow. We'll get you comfortable. That'd be awesome. What
0: are you doing when you're in a camp um, and you've got people here and the hunting's over for the day? What do you guys do together?
1: You know, it's funny. We, we talked about the successes and failures of the day, recap, Everyone's got a story, and especially if the hunt went well, it's well-timed, like this was during the breeding season. Everyone at least saw something and had some story to share from it, and that's how we grow as hunters. So we're talking about the deer we missed, Hmm. the deer we got, what the conditions were like, why you think you got it, Uh, the lucky shot that bounced off a twig and hit the back of the quarters and sadly had to go up and dispatch it, Uh, how we dispatched it, like all the details, and everyone's got some story. And then we eat chicken wings and bear meat yeah. <laughs> I was like, and, and deer heart. I was sitting over there and, uh, I was like, you guys want to, anybody want some bear meat and deer heart? And one guy, actually my buddy Antonio from Florida was like, he motioned. He was like, go on as if like, you know what to do. Like I was, I wasn't asking for permission. I was letting them know we're about to eat bear and deer heart. Came over here and cooked it up, virgin oil, red wine vinegar. And, uh, and we all enjoyed that. That's Walked amazing. around plates, little forks, and uh, pretended it was like a dainty meal. I was like, <laughs> here you go. Here you go. And we, we laughed and enjoyed that. Um, just having a good time. And that's what deer camp's all about. It's not about necessarily the deer killing. In fact, the Michigan deer camp I've going to this, this upcoming weekend, a couple of guys that come up almost every year don't hunt. They don't hunt, but they're part of the camp. They come up and read, relax, laugh, let their hair down, Listen to the hunting stories, share old hunting stories of when they used to hunt. They're just present. They're just there. And it's part of that spirit that's not required to have you hunting in the woods. Mm -hmm. But it's that getting together, um, that bond that gets lost, I think, with technology, the fast pace of work, the family. It's that (laughs) slow down, be present for four days. And that's what it's all about.
0: Yeah, I, I think now more than ever, people also need something to belong to. Like some type of positive group membership. I don't mean to keep making everything so political, but no, no. life's kind of political right cool. now. Yep. And I think like a lot of times like the perceived differences we have, like we're we're always like we're always pitting people like we're basically like pitting working class people against working class people when like we should be directing our unhappiness with the state of things at, like the sort of like power structures that are the ones responsible for the way things are. And the more that we have like infighting against each other, we're never going to see progress. And I think that, you know, it's very easy to be disillusioned and angry and like say a lot of nasty things online when you're sort of out there on your own. But if you have a group to belong to, if you have like a solid group of, of guys who go out hunting and, and can have moments where you decompress together and, and have fun together and laugh and maybe even be upset together, uh, I think that benefits everybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh,
0: curious about a couple animals that we haven't talked about. Shoot. I think I saw on your website that you also, as
1: part of your camp, do coyote hunting. Yeah, I've, I've leaned away from that. Okay. I used to do some uh, called dog hunting. Um, could be because I recently got a puppy and a big dog. Aww, like, yeah. I can't I can't shoot Tolstoy. <laughs> like my, my dog, um, he's a Moscow watchdog, beautiful dog. And I think, and I'll get vulnerable for a second. I did a lot of coyote hunting in the off season this summer, the summer of 2020, last summer, right? Yeah. Yes. Right, yeah. COVID's knocked everything. Yeah, around. it's weird. And I think. It was maybe like a, you can hunt coyotes all times, anytime, day or night, even on Sunday in Pennsylvania. And I think it was a way for me to, for me to have an outlet related to this COVID thing. I've never said that publicly, but like when stuff was shut down, uh, I needed to go to the woods. Like, I, you know, I take care of my family, my wife, my kids, but my outlet was out there and not just sitting out there, but hunting. Like, what, what could I do? And so I got into coyote hunting on a trip to Arizona, back in Arizona pre-COVID. I was like, this is really fun. But um, I don't do it anymore, okay. case in point. I, I have not coyote hunted all year long this past summer, not one time. Saw one running back there, didn't even think to take a shot. I grew into coyote hunting, and I grew out of coyote hunting. But a lot of people like to hunt them. So if they come here and they want to hunt a coyote, which is their legal right, I'll show them where to do it. You know, take them out, but um, yeah, coyote hunting is on there too. Did they eat them? Some people eat them out west. People don't eat coyote. Like talking about it, I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch it, and that's one reason why I grew out of it. I'm like John, you don't, you're not going to eat it. Right. So I tip. I, I I hunt things. I eat bear now, turkey and deer.
0: There are like smaller cats here in Pennsylvania, right? Mm-hmm. Bobcats. Are they? Um, I've never come across one. Uh, are they dangerous to people at all? I don't think so. No. Okay. Uh, ma-
1: maybe mountain lions out west or da- like if I lived in Arizona, Utah. Yeah. I would not hunt by myself. Plain yeah. and simple. Plain and simple. Wouldn't do it. Grizzlies way out west. Mountain lions, no way, dude. But out here, they're they're harmless. If you see a bobcat or something, or up in Michigan, they're not doing anything except hunting little little squirrels and. Injured birds, like they're, they're, they're pretty harmless. Okay. They're just kind of creepy looking, Bobcats.
0: Yeah. You, you <laughs> know, I saw
1: one, I was hunting in Michigan a couple of years ago. I saw one. I was like, where is he going? Like it just, it's a strange kind of mythical creature. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's a big cat, but it's not a huge cat. It's like, it, that thing is up to something. I don't want to know, but it's going to do something, some damage somewhere. But uh, a lot of people kill them because they have livestock issues. Uh, they will okay. eat chickens and things like that, similar to foxes. Uh, but yeah, that's long-winded answer to your coyote question.
0: There's something around here that was like poaching the fish out of my girlfriend's parents' pond. I've never seen one, but he called it a kingfisher. Are you aware of what that is? Not too familiar.
1: Okay. Is it a bird? I thought
0: it was like some kind of cat thing.
1: Okay, I'm not... Maybe Excuse more my like, ignorance, I don't uh, like a weasel or something. Like a no <laughs> idea. Okay. I'll have to look that up.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um that was the first I'd ever heard of it. But yeah, I mean, i I guess I wasn't even aware that there are coyotes here. Um but yeah, there there's there's so much here in Pennsylvania, I guess, that uh oh, yeah. that people can hunt. Um I wanted to I know in a little bit you gotta you gotta get to a call, but I wanted to ask you, you were telling me about uh the boat trip that you took from uh, Long Island oh, up Oh, sure. North. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I think that's really cool. I like to fish, too. I, so I got a, um, a Humble vessel, a 34-foot, uh, like 1980s classic Silverton, uh, big enough to be called a yacht, but it's not a mega yacht. And I got it out in Massapequa. Uh, I guess it's Long Island, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, we piloted it all the way up the Hudson River, uh, you know, passed through the Statue of Liberty, Ellis Island, and I had my own little, like, boat tour. Yeah. <laughs> i like, taking it up to its home marina in Haverstraw, and um, I don't take it out as much as I wanted to. I recently got it, but my, my wife likes to fish. She likes to get on a boat. Uh, wanted to take her out on that boat for a birthday. We ended up doing that, and um, call it a humble vessel because you can spend a million dollars on a yacht, or you can get a nice old boat that has two engines and works just fine, same size without the bells and whistles. And I like little luxuries here and there, but I like to think at the end of the day, I, I'm a simple fellow. So I wanted a nice classic boat, two engines, works fine, take her out. And that's what we got up in uh, upstate New York.
0: Oh, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, we'll have to invite you up there sometime.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you
1: just- Spring or summer, yeah.
0: You're doing a lot of things that I find really, really interesting. Um and I hear you mention uh, your dog. You named Tolstoy. Oh yeah. Are or are or were there any? Um, I don't know, like specific like writers or thinkers who influenced you into like being interested in the outdoors and sort of these ad- adventurous types of, of trips.
1: Writers. I mean, I do love Russian literature. I was a Russian major in college, and Tolstoy is one of my favorite authors. Dostoevsky. Yeah, yeah. Another, but these were not. I wouldn't call them out classic. Outdoors, right, right? Say, um, Stephen Crane, Red Badge of Courage, is sitting on the mantle uh, yeah. over there. That's a war story, but it's war is outdoors, it's not and you're on your living room sofa. Um, I think of Old Man in the Sea,
0: mm.
1: Hemingway, and some other influential short stories that'll probably hit me like an hour from now that gave me a fascination with nature. Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass, uh. I've always had a connection to, to the outdoors for sure. And a lot yeah. of the books I read, hopefully they inter- intersect with that, but not necessarily. Not necessarily. My favorite book is um, The Brothers Karamazov, Dostoevsky yeah. Brothers, just fantastic book. But it's also uh, you know full of passion and also my favorite passion on earth is Jesus Christ in the Bible. So it's a I think it's a biblical story that's not, has nothing to do with the Bible. Even the, I think the epilogue is John 12, 24, which, which talks about Christ dying and except a corn of wheat fall upon the ground and die, it dies alone, but in its death brings forth, brings forth much fruit. So a lot of the themes in that book were about, you know, dying and like the sadness of a child dying and someone suffering through that ideology and, you know, rejecting God. I think Ivan Kermazov says, I respectfully return the ticket in terms of his belief to God. And, you know, the things we deal with in life that, um, have nothing to do with the outdoors, but it's real, it's real stuff. So for me, it's more biblical, um, that draws my passion to books, but also I actually, I told my dad this, who's a preacher. Sometimes before I go out, open up my Bible, I'm like, God, where am I going today? And I'll read a psalm or proverb about the, you know, deer at the creek or something. I'm like, okay, today I'm hunting water, (laughs) like going by the creek today. And, um, you know, there's there's even a scripture about uh, a dart to the liver. Like if you get ensnared in the harlots or whores realm, it's like an innocent man taking a dart through the liver. And I've learned that taking shots on deer, one of the most lethal shots, like you want to hit the lungs or heart, if you hit that liver... You're talking about a dead deer; cannot survive. You know, so I like to think even those that wrote the Bible, whether you believe it or not, um, knew something about hunting. <laughs> so I take my book out there, and and blend those connections. Wow, that's
0: super fascinating. Um, you know what? I would love like the sort of when you were mentioning like coming back to the cabin and having these conversations after you're out hunting. Um, maybe they're too private for people to share, but if you had like some even like YouTube like web type of video series about that, like the people that you take out on the hunts and, and the experience of them coming back here, I mean, I'm sure that would also help with business, but from a storytelling perspective, I'd watch that that's not that would be something hmm. that's fascinating.
1: yeah, you get some stuff out there. Um, guys have stretched themselves, and they've gone places where outside of hunting, they have no business going. No business going. Like, why are you walking two miles out there to hunt the edge of a swamp? Mm -hmm. You know, outside of the hunting in that equation, you have no business being there. No business at all. So to take all these stories, the trip out there, whatever they saw, bring them back. Guys can go on for hours about one encounter. You know, so you take five guys and they're all waiting their turn. People talking. You know, it's just as the one guy said, it's a magical thing
0: hey, that's, like a, that's a really good way to, to put a pin in this. Um, I would love for people to, to be able to find you, so I'm going to link to the website, but is there anything specific they need to know about wanting to sign up for a, 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 a camp?
1: No, just uh, poconobrowns.com, check it out, feel us out. Uh, if it's for you, uh, as I've encountered with people that have reached out and sunk their teeth into it and really come up and hunted, if it's for you, it's for you. Like mm-hmm. you'll know it, you'll know it immediately. I had one guy who came up from Delaware and he called and said, is this, um, so I'm looking to hunt with some people. I've always wanted to hunt with other people. Is that said, Yes. Come on up. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. He, and he came up here and he said, man, I've wanted to do this for 30 years, like hunt with people. And then he said, not to add color to it, he said, and then to do it around blacks, uh, that's just amazing. That's amazing. And it's not an all-black camp. We had a white fellow from, from here in Pennsylvania named James. He was part of our camp this year, too. i got to give a shout-out to him. He took a bear back here, uh, <clears throat> crossbow, 18, 20-yard shot. Beautiful beautiful stuff. So it's not like a black camp. But um, I try to aim it to, our, to my own kind. And, uh, you know, all are, all are welcome. Uh, we all leave as friends. But, um, again, to use the guy's term, it's a, it's a magical thing that we put together. And hopefully you join us.
0: Yeah, I think it's very cool. Uh, I respect what you're doing. And again, thank you for having me here. Maybe if people are listening and they're hunters, they're like, some of those questions
1: were so basic. But So thank you for, for humoring me and yeah. uh, for, for teaching me. So. There's a lot I, I don't know. And to get the guys up here for deer camp, um, I selfishly learn from them. Like I'll never stop learning about hunting. So it's yeah. part of the code. Thanks, man. Yeah, cheers, dude. Good stuff.
0: All right, voyagers. That is a wrap on episode two five two of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for having me at the house. It was really cool to see uh, to see like this giant buckhead up on the wall and some other animals that he's gotten there. And he gave me like a little tour of the facilities, which are really cool. So if you're into this kind of thing or if you're interested in trying something new, I would definitely check out his deer camp. Give him a follow on the social media accounts that you will find a link to in the description in whatever player you're listening to this in. And give me a follow. Spread the word. Leave a rating and review on Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts. That goes a long way to getting me into all the algorithms and stuff like that. All right, going to sign off for now, Voyagers, but I've got a few more in the pipe coming very soon. So for now, I will say please... Please, please take care of each other and I will catch you very, very soon.